Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to open your word, Lord, help us to realize that this too is an act of worship. Lord, that you regard little the sacrifices of bulls and goats. But Lord, what you want from us, you want mercy, you want obedience, you want surrender. Father, today we come under the authority of your word and we submit to you. Father, Lord, I pray that we would hear your word with an obedient heart. Lord, now come to this place. Teach us, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We draw to a close of the kingdom parables as we've been looking at them in Matthew chapter 13. As I say, there are some... Uh, throughout the rest of Matthew's gospel, and we may come back to those, but this is where we're going to end at this time. And then uh, next time I'm here, we'll be going to the, the solas, looking at the solas of the Reformation, and looking forward to that. If you've found your place there in Matthew chapter 13, please stand with me and reverence the reading of God's holy word. It's just two verses today. Hear the word of the Lord. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So we've been looking at the kingdom parables for some weeks now. <clears throat> we began by looking at the purpose of the parables, the purpose of the parables that Jesus told us was uh, twofold, we saw. First of all, it is uh, a judgment. It is a judgment on those who came to hear him teach, those who listened to the plain teaching of his message, the plain message of the gospel and yet refused it and Jesus says now I turn to them in parables they won't hear the plain teaching then I'm going to give them parables and so this is a judgment on those who have hardened their hearts to the word of God yet it is also a blessing for those who have received the word those who wanted to dig in a little deeper as these parables reveal greater spiritual truths, that, uh, truths that we can't necessarily understand by uh, regular observation. These are spiritual truths, and so we need to take something ordinary, something that we are familiar with, to teach us something that's extraordinary, something that we're not familiar with. And so Jesus uses parables to teach those spiritual truths, to open up the spiritual truths for us even more. And as we've been going through the parables, we had, first of all, the parable of the souls, or the parable of the sower, and, and that showed us the reception of the kingdom, how the kingdom is received. 
The sower goes out and sows the Word of God, sows the gospel, sows it broadly. But it's the soul that has been prepared by the farmer, prepared by God to receive it, that receives it. It takes root and it grows to fruitfulness. Then we saw the parable of the weeds, and there we saw the nature of the kingdom. Now, at this time, as it's growing up with the good wheat with, along with the weeds. And we also see the future of the kingdom, how the harvest will come and the weed will be separated from the wheat. We saw the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, and we saw the, the nature of kingdom expansion. It begins with a, a small seed, Jesus Christ buried and then raised again. And from that small, seemingly insignificant seed, the kingdom of God has grown to a mighty kingdom and a, a massive, broad, pervasive kingdom that we see now spread all throughout this world. Then uh, the Matthew there took a little break in the midst of all that to reveal to us the king of the kingdom, showing us that through teaching these parables, Jesus was fulfilling the very word of God given to us in the Old Testament. And so that revealed who Jesus was. He is the king of the kingdom. And we looked at the, hidden, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, which shows the great value of the kingdom. And then last week we looked at the parable of the net. And we saw that the coming of the final consummation of the kingdom. When the angels will come and they will reap the harvest, they will collect all of the souls from the earth and they will separate out the evil for eternal destruction and a devil's hell from the good who will be raised up and taken into God's kingdom for an eternity of joy and delight in His presence. So today now we draw to an end uh, to the parables in this chapter. And as we draw to the end then, we begin to ask this final question. What do you do with the blessings of the kingdom? What do you do with the treasure of the kingdom? When you think about the, the progression of the parables, they end there with the value of the kingdom, which we talked about last week and the week before. It's the pearl of great price. It's the treasure hidden in a field. It's of extreme value, and especially when you begin to realize it and put it in its, in it, it, its eternal situation. When you begin to realize there's more to life than this world. When you begin to look at eternity and see what is coming. Oh, the value of the kingdom. What a wonderful value we have in Jesus Christ. So now when we got the value of the kingdom, when we understand the value, when we obtain such a, a wonderful treasure in Jesus Christ, now what? Now what? And that's the question that we often get asked, isn't it? When, when we have a great accomplishment in life, people want to know what's next. You remember, uh, well, almost every Super Bowl these days, but I remember with, uh, when the Saints won the Super Bowl, 
Drew Brees, you and the Saints have won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disney World, right? What's next? You have this great accomplishment. What's next? That's the question that we have to ask. If we have this kingdom, if we have this treasured, this pearl of great price, once we obtain it, what's next? What do we do with such a valuable treasure? Often we'll, we'll go put it in the bank. We'll hide it away. Lock it up. But that's not what we do with the kingdom of God. That's not what we do with this great treasure, the treasure of Jesus Christ. The treasure of the kingdom we take to the world. So the message that we see in this parable is this, the treasure of the kingdom is a gift not to be hoarded, but to be distributed freely and joyfully. Say that again. The treasure of the kingdom of God is a gift not to be hoarded away, but to be distributed freely and joyfully. It's not to be put in a bank. It's not like it's ever going to run out. Therefore, we would distribute it freely and joyfully. So let's look at the parable then. We'll keep it in the same kind of uh, outline that we have before, explanation, interpretation, application. First, let's look at the explanation here. We see the parable. The parable is actually here in the second part of the verse. He says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe, of the, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like. It is like. It's like this. So here's the parable. It is like a master of a house who brings of his treasure what is new and what is old. So begin to, to look at all the, the factors here, all of the parts of the parable. First, consider the master of the house. What is the master of the house? He simply is the owner of the house. He is the owner of the house. This is one who who owns the house. So I want us to see that. There's ownership involved. He's the master of the house. He belongs there. He has ownership of it. But he's also one who, who manages the house. He looks over things. He makes sure things are in repair. He, he, he has an interest in the house. He's an overseer. You might think of uh, just to give a biblical example here, we might think of, of Joseph in the house of Potiphar. And even as he was uh, given the, the rule over Egypt, he was a, a master in the house. There he was a servant of the house, but he was treated as though he owned everything. He was given rulership over all things. And so he was, he was able to manage the household. He looked after its affairs, made sure things were in order. So we have the master of the house. There's ownership involved there. But then he talks about the treasure. The master of, of the house, the, the tribe of the kingdom, is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure 
what is new and what is old. What does that mean, his treasure? Well, what's in view here is is we kind of, it's not familiar so much with us, but uh, often in those days, you didn't have banks, you didn't have big safes to go hide away your treasures in. So typically they had, most every house had a treasure room place where they put their most valuable possessions it was in the inside of the house and usually it was you know the the people of the house the owner of the house the master of the house his his bed would be positioned somewhere around the entrance of this treasure room to keep anyone from coming in and stealing his treasure without him knowing it and so that's the, the view that Jesus is talking about here. The master of the house brings out of his treasure, out of his treasure room, where he keeps his most valuable possessions. He brings the treasure out. So it's a treasure room. But then notice he brings it out. What does he mean by bringing it out? He brings out the treasure. Now when we look at that word there, it's quite interesting when you begin to dig a little bit deeper. The word there behind bring out is the, the word, the Greek word ekbalo. Now there's two parts of that word, ekbalo. Ek is the prefix and balo is the root word, the main word. Balo means to, in its own sense, means to throw, to throw out. It has that kind of meaning. Ek, of course, is from or away from. And so the idea here is not to bring it out simply to display the treasure, but it's the idea of bringing it out to distribute. To distribute. Not to throw it out like trash, but to distribute it. Throw it out to the the people around you. To throw it out to those guests who come into the house. to, to, To distribute it. To give it away. And so he says he brings out, he distributes from his treasure room. We think this is kind of not the norm, is it? It's not the norm. When we think about our treasure, we don't bring out our most valuable possessions and distribute them. You, you, you go, to the, go to London today. Uh, you see one of the most valuable treasures there, the crown jewels. You go to the Tower of London and you can go and you can go in and you can see the crown jewels. There, the royalty, the royal family, they have brought out their treasure and put them on display, but you're not going to leave there with any of the, the diamonds, right? They're not going to give you any of the treasure. And that's what we normally think. We, we bring out our treasure to show it off. But Jesus says, the scribe of the kingdom brings out his treasure to distribute it, to give it away. So it's to bring out, and it brings out, the master of the house brings out of his treasure, treasure both the new and the old. And we just want to make clear there, notice that he says bring out new brings out what is new and old. He brings out both new and old. Oftentimes we like to bring out the, the new stuff, the shiny stuff. The most imp- you know, this is exciting, it's new. And not lay out the old stuff. We kind of keep that back. 
Someone comes over and I've got a, a new gun. I'm, hey, check out my new gun. But I'm not going to show them my old shotgun I've had for 15, 20 years. So we like to bring out and show the new, but not always the old, but the prophet or the scribe of the kingdom brings out new and old. So that's the explanation. Now let's go to interpretation. Interpretation. First, as we look at this, he's talking here about the scribe who is trained for the kingdom. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about a scribe? We don't have scribes. That's not a profession in our day. Who are are the scribes? What is that? What does he mean there? If you begin to look at the Gospels, you begin to see the scribes appear over and over again. And, And the scribes in the Gospels are often talked about in a negative sense. The scribes in those days were the scholars of the Old Testament Scripture. They were the scholars, the ones who who really studied the Scripture. And they would teach others the Scripture as well. They were teachers. And so they would teach all the young Jewish boys and girls who came out. They would teach them the Word of God. Often they had uh, the duty of copying the Word of God. That's why they're called scribes. They copied the Word of God. And so they were very diligent in their, their copying. So you have a synagogue out there, their scroll of Isaiah is wearing out, and so they need a scribe to come and make them a new scroll. And so a scribe would would come and copy the scroll. And they were very educated, very informed on the Word of God. In fact, they if you told them I needed a I need a scroll of Isaiah, they could tell you the number count of the words in Isaiah. And they could tell you what number, what word was the hundredth word, what number was the five hundredth word, and what number was the thousandth word. They knew it that well. That way they could go, and as they began to to go down through there and copy it, they knew the hundredth word should be such and such. And so if they were copying along there and the hundredth word was not such and such, they would throw it away and start over again because they've missed a word somewhere along the way. That's how intelligent these guys were. They were smart. They knew the Word of God backwards and forwards. But when it came to Jesus and his ministry, well, the scribes were, well, not very receptive, were they? In fact, they were kind of afraid of Jesus because if what Jesus was teaching was true, their ministry was not where it needed to be. And so they, they received Jesus very badly. And in fact, we see scribes throughout the Gospels, they are casting a negative light. They're the ones who are, are against Jesus, who are out there trying to get Jesus along with the Pharisees. And so when Jesus pronounces woes, woe to the Pharisees and scribes. But that's not the kind of scribe that Jesus is talking about here. He kind of carries the same idea as far as the one who studies the kingdom. The one who who dedicates himself to knowing the kingdom. And so look at what does it mean to be a scribe of the kingdom. Scribes of the kingdom, first of all, receive the message of the kingdom. They receive the message of the kingdom. Look at what Jesus says. 
He's turning to his disciples. Now he's been out, he's been teaching to the masses. But now it seems to be that he's, he's turning and he's looking at a group. Do you, have you understood these things? He's looking to his disciples, his immediate group. And he says, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, yes. Now, when Jesus says, have you understood all of these things, he's not just simply talking about, have you, have you got them cognitively, right? Have you received them cognitively? Do you understand the mental process that's going on here? Do you, have you taken in the information and understood it? I mean, there's a sense that we can take in information and understand the information without receiving the information, isn't there? There? I could go to the doctor and I could say, doctor, I'm, I'm sick. I have all of these problems going on. And the doctor could say, oh, well, this is the issue. This is the sickness. And this sickness, it has these kinds of results. And if you take this medicine, then that will help your sickness. Well, I can understand what the doctor is telling me without receiving it and actually taking the medicine, can I? He says, when he asks his disciples, do you understand? He asks, are you receiving it? Have you received it? Have you taken it into your heart? Do you trust what I am telling you? A scribe of the kingdom is one who receives the message of the kingdom. Not only that, it, the scribe of the kingdom is one who receives the kingdom. Receives the kingdom. This is the one who has gone out and, and looked for the pearl of great price. And, and once he has found it, he has sold off everything to have the pearl. The one who understands, the scribe of the kingdom, is the one who receives the kingdom as the valued treasure that it is. So that's what he's talking about. The scribe of the kingdom is the one who receives the message of the kingdom, the message that Jesus has been teaching, the gospel, and has received the kingdom, has entered into the kingdom. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. The Lord puts it as this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, along with receiving the kingdom, there's ownership. That's why Jesus refers to the scribe of the kingdom as the master of the house. There's ownership. When the message is received, when the gospel is received into the heart, when Christ is received, there's ownership in the kingdom. 
There's ownership. It's not like just moving in as a slave and a servant of the kingdom. There's ownership there. We have been adopted as children of God, joint heirs with Christ. The scribes of the kingdom are not just those who have listened to the message and understood the message. They have received the message. They have received the kingdom. And now they are heirs of the kingdom. There's ownership. There's real ownership. Dear friend, if you are here today and you have trusted in Jesus Christ, I don't know, care how much you have or how little you have in this world, it matters not. If you are a child of God, you own the kingdom. It's yours. You're a joint heir with Christ. You belong there. You are a part of it. Not just a slave and a servant of the kingdom. You are a member of the kingdom. So the scribes of the kingdom receive the message. They receive the kingdom. But then look here. The scribes of the kingdom also distribute the kingdom treasure. They distribute the kingdom treasure. They don't just hoard it away. They don't just say, oh, look what I got. You can't have it, but look what I've got. They don't hoard it away, but they distribute it. They give it away. They give it away. And here's why. Because it never runs out. No matter how much you give away the kingdom, no matter how, you, how much you tell others about the kingdom, that doesn't diminish the value of the kingdom that you possess one bit. Jesus is eternal. And He is the great treasure. He is the kingdom. That's the whole point of it. You can't separate the king from the kingdom. And Jesus is the pearl of great price. When you have Jesus, you have it all. And you don't keep Jesus to yourself. You tell others about Jesus. You tell others about Jesus. You can have this treasure. You can have Jesus. You can know the value of Jesus. Is that how we treat Jesus? Is that how we treat Jesus? Is that how we treat Him? Is, are we so filled with joy about Jesus, that we want to give Jesus away, we want to tell others about Jesus? I'm afraid not. I'm afraid that often, instead of treating Jesus like a, a most valued possession, who's endless in value, we treat Jesus more like a bag of dirty gym clothes. Think about that. I walk in from the gym and I've got my gym bag with me. Oh, what's in the bag? Oh, you don't want it. It's just my dirty gym clothes. Stinky, nasty gym clothes. Nothing valuable in there. And quite frankly, I'm afraid that, that often we treat Jesus like a dirty bag of gym clothes. Because we don't go tell people about Jesus. 
We don't distribute the, the kingdom as we have been called to do. Oftentimes, we hide him away. Let's not tell people about Jesus. They may not be my friend if I tell them about Jesus. Oh, no, you don't want this. This would cost you a little too much. Let's put him away. Hide him away. So instead of treating Jesus like the invaluable, endless treasure that he is, we treat him like something to be hidden away for no one else to see. The scribe of the kingdom, Jesus says, distributes the treasure. Sees the value of the kingdom. Sees the value and the glory of Jesus. And how could you keep that to yourself? How can we do that? We got a world out here who's dying and going to hell needing Jesus. We just hide them away. Don't tell people about Jesus. It might get a little uncomfortable. And quite honestly, if that's our attitude, then Jesus is not our treasure. Our comfort is our treasure. Right? If we fail to tell people about Jesus, as he has called us to tell people about Jesus, because it might get uncomfortable, because our pride might hurt when they tell us, no, thank you then our comfort and our pride is our treasure, not Jesus. If Jesus is our treasure, we put him out there. This is the treasure. This is what's most valuable. This is what's most lovely. This is the thing I love. Do away with everything else. Give me Jesus. Oh, that we would be faithful scribes of the kingdom and distribute the treasure, the endless treasure of the kingdom with the world around us. A faithful scribe of the kingdom distributes the kingdom treasures. But also, the faithful scribe of the kingdom distributes both new and the old. Now, what does that strange little phrase there mean? What does he mean by that? Well, we understand that Jesus has given them something new here, isn't he? They have the Old Testament, but now he's giving them a new revelation. And so we see in Scripture this kind of thing happening. There's a, a progress of revelation taking place. A revelation, I mean, a revealing of God. And so we just had the solar eclipse the other day, so let me illustrate this because I think this works it pretty well. And so when you think about the progress of revelation, progressive revelation, it's kind of like the solar eclipse. So you have the solar eclipse. I'll aim it up there so I don't blind anybody. Right? You have the solar eclipse, and then here comes the moon, and the moon comes across, and it covers the sun. And when it comes and covers the sun, you can kind of see a little bit of the sun's glow about it, but it's pretty dark. Then as the moon continues to go, it begins to, the sun begins to be revealed more and more and more until finally you see it completely again. Well, here's progressive revelation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man in his own image and his own likeness, and God walked with man. He walked with man in the garden. 
And therefore, the light of the glory of God shone plainly, visibly, to man there in the garden. But the serpent came along and tempted the man and the woman, and they sinned against God. Darkness. When they fell, when they disobeyed God, they broke their relationship with God. And there was darkness in the land. No more God. No more revealing. Loneliness. Oh, you could see the kind of glow of His glory even around the sin, but it was hidden from man. And so that we see in Revelation, we see even in the days of Noah, there was only a glow, a glimmer. And all of man was evil in their hearts, and so God destroyed all of mankind except for Noah and his family. Then something happens in chapter 12 of Genesis. God comes to Abraham, and he begins to reveal himself to Abraham. And he shows himself to Abraham, and he begins to tell Abraham, In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Oh, the, the, the moon's beginning to roll away now. There's a little light shining. And then God begins to, he comes to, to Moses and the uh, people of Israel in Egypt, and he begins to show them a little bit more. He gives them his law, and there's a little more light of revealing of God's glory through the law. And then he comes to David, and he says to David, I will bless your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom for all of eternity. There's a little more revelation of God, a little more revealing, a little more light shining through. Then through the prophets, all the way to Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we have the full revelation of God as God is in the flesh. It's the full revelation. We see God plainly and clearly now in Jesus. Now the tendency would be for us, that's progressive revelation. And so the tendency for us may be, and it is for many, okay, well now we got the full revelation, so why do we need the Old Testament? Let's just focus on the New Testament. Let's just read the New Testament and study the New Testament. But Jesus says no. No, you don't get away, you don't put away the all, don't throw it out. But you bring it out. Now he does put the, the priority on the new, that's why you have this kind of odd arrangement. Normally you would say, bring out the old with the new, but he says, bring out the new with the old. Bring out the new and the old. He, he puts it in that odd odd form there to to bring out the priority of the new we see the fullness of Christ in Christ the fullness of God in Christ we have the full view now the moon has rolled away there's no more blind spot here's Jesus he given us the full revelation of God this is the fullness of God's plan yes there's still more to come but we see it plainly in Jesus but the Old Testament still gives us the promises it's full of the promises and if we throw out the old then we don't see the promises 
And we don't see them fulfilled in Jesus. We miss so much. And so we must be faithful to teach people from the Old Testament and from the New. Always giving priority to the New. Always showing the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That's why when I teach and I preach from the Old Testament, my priority is not to to tell you some event that happened in Israel's history, but it's to point you to Jesus. Because Jesus is the point of the whole book. If we don't see Jesus, we've, we've missed the point. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So all the stories about Abraham... Noah, David, Jonah, it's all about Jesus. It's all meant to point us to Jesus. The whole law is meant to point us to Jesus. Jesus is the point. So we bring out the new. This is the new revelation. This is the full revelation in in Jesus Christ. Everything points to him. But we don't just throw out the old. We we. Teach, we look for Jesus in the whole book, in all of Scripture. So that's the interpretation. Now here's the application. Here's the application. What do we do with all this? First of all, receive the kingdom. Receive the kingdom. Today, Jesus is asking each and every person here, Do you understand these things? Do you understand the message of the kingdom? Do you see the great value of Jesus Christ? He is God who has come in human flesh to save you from your sin. You were one of the ones headed straight to hell. Without Jesus, you're headed to hell. All of mankind was headed to hell. But God came in His flesh. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And He was obedient to the Father. Completely, absolutely. Something that you and I can never do. Yet He went to the cross and He died there absorbing the penalty for your sin, for your rebellion. And dear friend, you have the choice. You believe in Jesus, and you reap the reward. You reap the blessings of God due Jesus. Or you can turn away from Jesus and suffer the right consequences for your own actions against God in the devil's hell. You can either be gathered up in the net and sorted out for hell, or you can be sorted out for heaven and all of its glory and wonders and treasures. Do you understand? Do you receive the message? Not just taking that knowledge and saying, uh-huh, but do you receive it in your heart? Have you received it? Have you received the kingdom? 
Jesus says, do you understand? Do you receive gospel? And that's going out to every person here today. Have you received it? If not, today, receive the kingdom. Own the kingdom by coming to Christ. Faith. Second, train for the kingdom. Train for the kingdom. He says there, every scribe trained. Right? Every, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of God. There's training involved. We all have to train for the kingdom. When we come to faith, we're pretty ignorant still about the kingdom. We have the basics down, but we're still kind of ignorant about the kingdom. And so we need to be trained. We need to understand more. That's why Jesus teaches his disciples for three years. He's got face-to-face teaching with them because he wants them to learn to be trained in the things of the kingdom. And we all must be trained in the kingdom. How do we become trained in the kingdom? First of all, we, we come to corporate worship together. You sit under me standing up here preaching and teaching and explaining the things of God's Word. That's part of training in the kingdom. As we talked about the gifts earlier, read the the part about the gifts there in Romans chapter 12. God has given me the gift, for whatever reason, to be a preacher and a teacher of His Word. I'm so thankful for that. I love my job, right? I love this gift. I have a passion for it, if you haven't figured that out. I love it. I love to see the the truths of God's Scripture come alive and then teach them to other people. And so you have that benefit of coming under the preaching of God's Word and, and, and reaping from my hours of study. Right? That's how I love you. That's how I show my love for you, by doing what God has made me to do and teaching you the Word of God. If you're not here, you can't hear it. You can't learn from it. So we we train in the kingdom by coming to church and learning together, sitting under the preaching of God's Word, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, whether it be in Bible study or Sunday school classes. But then there's also the personal devotions, devoting yourself to personal devotions. It's not just a Sunday thing. You should be getting up every day and reading God's Word, studying His Word. I mean, He's here face-to-face face-to-face teaching you what a privilege we have to have his word in our hands and to be able to read it and study it day after day that's sitting at the feet of jesus when you open this and read it you're sitting at the feet of jesus learning from the master himself devote yourself to personal devotions study god's word Devote yourself to prayer that God may grow you in kingdom knowledge. The third, there's share the kingdom. Share the kingdom. We've got to distribute it, right? We've got to give it away. We've got to share it with others. Parents, your first priority is to share it with your children. 
You should be sharing with your children all the time. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Diligently. Diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you, ride, when you uh, sit in your houses and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, you should be talking about God's Word. You should be looking for ways to teach your children godliness every day. In every situation, always bringing about that conversation about the Lord. Parents, that's your first obligation. That's the first place that your children should hear about Jesus is at home with you. It's a responsibility of the people of God, of the children of God. But then Christians, from that, out of that, beyond that, is to share Christ with our neighbors, our friends, our family who is around us, looking for those open doors, those opportunities to speak some truth into their life and point them to Jesus. How often we like to point out their faults and flaws and those sorts of things. We'll fuss at our neighbor if his lawn's not kept, but we won't tell him about Jesus. We've got to look for those chances to tell people about Jesus and not hide him away like he's some kind of filth that we don't want to share, but hold him up for all the world to see. Are you a faithful scribe? Are you a faithful scribe this morning? Perhaps you feel like not. I mean, honestly, if we're all honest with ourselves, me included, right? I know I'm not where I need to be. None of us are. And we're never going to get to where we think we need to be. Let's just be honest. We're never going to get to that point. We can always do better. But in Christ, we can do all that we can. In Christ, we can do wonderful, great things. Don't put Christ in the hole. Don't hide Him away. He is the most valuable treasure to be exalted and set upon high. And our greatest delight in life ought to be to know Christ and to make Him known to the world. Make that your goal. Make that your goal. To know Jesus. To see Jesus. To value Jesus. And then to make Jesus known. All of those people whom God has put in your path. The treasure of the kingdom is a gift not to be hoarded away, but to be distributed freely 
and joyfully. Oh, that we would be found, found faithful in doing that. Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank You for the treasure of the kingdom. What a most invaluable treasure we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, You could have left us to die and suffer the consequences for our rebellion, but Lord, You loved us. You gave us Jesus so that we would no longer have to live in darkness, but Lord, that we could see the full light of Your glory. Oh Lord, shine Your light upon us today. Let us see. And Lord, I know as we see Your glory, as we see Your glory, we will not be able to contain it. We will not be able to hold ourselves back from pointing others to see Your glory. Shine upon us, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.